Hey, Film Files. Welcome back. It's Tuesday once again. You're listening to WAZU 90.7, and you've stumbled upon Movie Show Theater. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And tonight was Ben's choice, and we'll come to that in a second. But first, here's our fun little intro. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. All right, so coming up on June 13th, a little over a month, we have our first uh, double feature movie event. You can get all the information at the Movie Show Theater Facebook page, and you can buy tickets online at movieshowtheater.com slash events if you're interested. If you're interested, yeah. And that's it. You better be interested. You better be interested. I mean, I'll find you. I I I hope that you are. I don't want to promote it. I just want to say that it's available if you would like to go. Of course, we can't really promote things. Yeah, and I can't really talk about ticket prices, but they're reasonable. We probably shouldn't threaten people on air. No. No. We could, though. We could. We just won't. It's not a good idea. When I said I'll find you, you didn't let me finish my thought. I said I'll find you, but what I meant to say after that was, and give you a high five, even if you don't buy tickets, because it's all cool. Yeah, because we're all friends here. Yeah. We, We know it wouldn't be a high five. We know you'd tickle. Nah, you're all about tickling. I'm, I'm ticklish, so I I wouldn't do that to someone else. I don't like it very much. Okay, fair enough. Well, yeah. all I'm saying is, if you end up at Blue in Peoria at 619 West Main in Peoria, Illinois, they may or may not have tickets available. If you end up at the Apollo Theater at 311 South Main Street in Peoria, they may or may not have tickets available. And that's it. That's all I want to say on the matter. Night of the Living Dead and Westworld. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Seriously. You sure? Yeah. Ben? Let's talk about your film. Oh, Stu's excited. He's excited <laughs> from the he was excited from the moment last week when we picked this movie. Yeah. So I picked the Babadook, which came out last year. It's an Australian film. Uh it has some aspects of a thriller, but it seems to lean more toward horror and it's very, very psychological and dark. And when I did a little bit of research on it, I found it was also uh, somebody who was a first-time director. So I found all those things very interesting and also thought it would be a good comparison or companion piece to American Beauty, seeing as how it deals so much. How? The family structure, putting up a facade, repressing your real feelings and not expressing them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Stu's just trying to be a troll already. So I watched this movie again today for the second time, and I liked it the first time, and I remember the first time watching it and having some kind of out-there thoughts like, could she have been the one that wrote Babadook? And then the second time around, I came upon all of these revelations, I guess, if you will. Yes, she was absolutely the author of Babadook, and it's implied at four or five different points in the film. And I thought that this was a fantastic choice, Ben. Thank you very much. I thought this film totally broke the monotony of annoying little possessed child 
like boogeyman tale like there's been so many times before if you looked at the trailer too that's what you might have thought this movie was about because really it's about uh, a mother amelia and her son sam or samuel and them dealing with the aftermath of uh, amelia's husband oscar dying the day that sam is born and we're flashing forward to six years later and well more trauma it's the movie's kind of like uh, for the most part, watching a bruise darken instead of get better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I can understand, be completely honest with people, when if they said, you know, I really don't like this, I'd be like, yeah, I can understand why. Because it goes to really dark pra- places, and if you're not in the right mood for it, it could probably be very off-putting. Oh, yeah, it's I a know, descent not, into madness. Yeah, not exactly the greatest endorsement for a <laughs> film I really like, but I totally understand if people say, no, it's I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, I was being sarcastic, this do I can totally get it. I I I'm not gonna say I didn't like it. I I didn't. It. it I don't like movies like this necessarily because they're too formulaic. And even this one followed the formula to a certain degree, and you can't deny that. What do you mean? Uh, you, you're presented with uh, a seemingly troubled child. Seemingly troubled child and a troubled situation, a single mom raising this troubled child. There was a death. There was it, it followed a pattern, just like many things, until we got to a certain point when you realized and I realized that no, it does not the pattern is gonna get broken and it does get broken at the end, which was refreshing. That was nice. I'm not gonna say that I wasn't uh, entertained by that thought. But as I was watching this film, it, it became very evident to me that the entire film was all just a metaphor for this woman's depression. It was not a horror film. It was a descent into what I would call the darker darker reaches of anybody who's ever had to deal with dep- depression. And the this, shadow. And this woman who, you know, six years prior, seven years prior, was involved in a horrific car accident with her husband who is not just killed but decapitated in front of her. And she has created this creature, this Babadook, if you will, in her mind that has at this point reached a breaking point. I don't think the creature is real. I don't think the 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 the, the hallucinations that she's seeing are real. They are just that. They are manifestations of her own her own sadness, her own guilt, her own grief over the death death of her husband, and she's absolutely putting this... And and the kid is not a kid who's trying to protect himself and his mother. He is somebody who's trying to protect himself from her sadness, from her low times, and the weapons that he creates are all things that are non-lethal, wouldn't hurt anybody, and yet would definitely irritate the living daylights out of somebody if you got hit with it. And that was proven also at some point. Not going to stop some gigantic boogeyman. She has, and, and, and then in the end, where the twist is, the the demon that lives inside of her, the depression that lives inside of her does not conquer all. It does not kill her. It does not cause her to do these horrible things, with the exception of one horrible thing. The that death was, of the dog. The dog was pretty sad. Yeah. That was one horrible thing. But she de- she doesn't hurt her kid. She never at any point directly threatens him necessarily. But in the end, she comes to terms with this depression. It's what it's what people who do survive depression and people who do survive horrible addiction and other things do. They know that that's always going to be a part of them. 
They absolutely know that it's always going to be a part of them. They're never going to be able to get rid of that. They're never going to be able to throw it away. And so what does she do? She keeps this thing in her basement. She keeps it. She feeds it. She knows that it's there. She acknowledges its existence and yet does not let her let it control her again. And that is the only sort of healing that this woman is ever going to have. And that's what most people who deal with these horrible problems experience. They know they're never going to get better. 100%. There's never a 100% with that. But she, at the end, was smiling. She was happy. There was hope. You know, even though they kept this creature, quote-unquote, locked up and fed it. Mm -hmm. There it is. That's my take on the movie. Yeah, no, I, I, if we stop at depression, I don't think we're going far enough into the darkness because I, when, the way I kind of viewed this movie, at least from a psychological aspect, is um, the Babadook, while not physically real, is also kind of like her shadow. If you go into like the Jungian psychology, one step beyond her grief and depression is her repressed desire that she doesn't want to show the world of wanting to harm her son and i think that she does this almost yearly because he's ready for it she partially blames at, her son at the start for her of the husband's movie. death yeah i mean she does you can tell she she doesn't rec- she doesn't want to recognize the day of his birth she doesn't want i mean she blames him to a certain degree for this this horrible thing that happened yeah and the kid doesn't know any better the kid's matter of fact probably the most honest character in the entire film he's yeah. the one who who says it like it is and she acknowledges that he's pretty honest just like his father he says it like it is and he doesn't really know with his limited vocabulary and experience exactly what this monster is so it's like his mom has been feeding him things even if it wasn't the babadook before his mom has almost been feeding him things and he's interpreting him interpreting it this way so it's almost like there's a monster doing it and it's not his mother and that in effect at the end helps him love his mother you know, like when she's well, we can get to it later. But when she's in the basement and tied down, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I think that um, you know this director Jennifer Kent. She puts up this kind of front as a boogeyman tale. So almost every American horror film that comes out has some variation of this. That's a disturbed child, and you know the story is kind of from this child's perspective. And so Jennifer Kent does. Definitely put up this front that if on the most superficial level you want to watch this as a boogeyman tale, fine. That's no big deal. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Drive home safe. You know, it's a weird ending if if you don't really look past that. But it's like a lot of these movies that have that element aren't really giving us as the audience credit for being smart when you put up, like when you put up such a simple recipe and such a simple formula that everything that we see on the screen is all there is to it you're 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 kind of assuming that we're not capable of dealing with something more and so i think the fact that this was the director's not her first thing that she's written for the screen but her first directorial debut um I think it's a very important thing to note when you're looking at this movie because there's certain scenes that if you go back and watch them, there's a lot more than meets the eye. You know, in fact, there's that one scene where he says, life is a very wondrous thing. There's more than meets the eye. 
it can, you know, be this wondrous thing, and it can also be very treacherous, which is a quote from that creepy magic DVD that he had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was... I know, that was that was just strange. That, that was, was weird. That, well, I mean, go watch your DVD, and then he goes and watches this, and then he's always, throughout the entire film, he's trying to get his mom to watch him do magic tricks and stuff like that, which is fine. I mean, that's... Little kids that's do what that his dad sort of did. Stuff. He wants to... You know, yeah. I mean, little kids do that sort of stuff, and that's fine. But the the DVD that he watches, I'm sorry, I don't. I, I if I had if my kid were to start watching that, I'd be just like, you know, he's kind of the creepy, you know, molester magician who mm-hmm. shows up at little kids parties. You know, yeah. He's not a no. I think we're gonna turn this off. We might even burn this. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that was that was one of those where I was as I was watching, I was like, mm, I don't think so. No, I, I don't I, think so. I went to Reddit with this movie, and there was a whole discussion thread, and people were just like trashing this kid, which I kind of took as a compliment to the kid. It's like, you know, the character Joffrey from Game of Thrones is hated <laughs> to the world, oh, which God. is he's a, a sign of a great actor. Oh, I mean, God. if you're able to get the world to hate you, oh. But I mean, if you read the books, you hated that character anyway. Right, right, I mean, right. The, but yeah. I didn't find this kid. I mean, he was disturbed and like difficult to deal with. But I didn't think he was annoying to watch. I, well, I mean, oh, I no. think I no, think no, with, I with what he was going through, you know, and his behavioral problems, it just added to the strain that was placed on Amelia. So she's working. She doesn't have a husband. She's trying to support her son. Who and these authority figures from the school are saying, well. You know, we can have a monitor for your son, and we can isolate him. She's just thinking, well, he's going to have more problems, and you get to see what exactly his problems are. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here, that's that is something that I take exception to. Being in education, there in modern day education, nobody sits down with a with a mom and basically says. Your son is ruining everything for everybody. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to provide a monitor for him, and therefore— It is Australian, though. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're not third world. Yeah, but they I might mean, have a different method of doing they things. They might have a different method of doing things, but still— if I mean, this if it kid, was third it, world, they'd take him out and beat him with a reed. Or something, right? But, and, but you see, but in this case, this kid obviously had some issues, obviously is dealing with his own demon, and yet do they actually sit down and talk to the kid? No, they just punish. Well, they say that they have. They said we've had the talks. We've okay. Yet, yeah, mom has had the talks. She's saying, "I'm. I'll have a talk with them. I. I, I promise this won't happen again." And they. They were like, "No, there. No more talking. We're done now." But the, from a pure behavioral standpoint, in at least in education in the United States, yes, we can make an argument that it may be different there, but I find it hard to believe that it's that much different. They're not going to resort back to the 1960s, always possessed by a demon necessarily. We need to shock him until he starts drooling. No, they're going to get to the root of the problem, which in this case is mom. Mm-hmm. And and they're not going to just give the child a monitor without going through a process. There's a process for this sort of thing. I go through it on a daily basis in my school. It it's it. There is a set process, and it's a process meant to help the child become successful in education. It is not a punitive process. Never is meant to be punitive. And yet what they're proposing is almost medieval. Yeah, there is definitely a demonizing of the education system in this movie. Absolutely. And, and the the teacher, yeah, she was older. She You might say she's part of the old guard or whatever. But anybody who stays in teaching that long 
is not going to treat this kid as though she's going to have seen kids like that before. She's sure. going to know how to deal with a kid like that better than what she did. And if she hasn't dealt with it yet, or if she hasn't learned to deal with it better than what she was dealing with, she should have gotten out of education a long time ago. Yeah, I'm well, and, and this isn't the idealistic portrayal of like how a teacher should act. But oh no, I remember at Peoria Christian in third grade, I got a call home from my principal because I dunked my lunch into the garbage can at lunch. There was like the big 32 gallons and I jumped up and slam dunk my paper sack into the lunch and my mother got a call at work from my principal. That's crazy. I'm sorry. That's... And I mean, of course, that was in the 90s and this was a private school system, but still, I mean, as, as medieval as it sounds, it's not too far reaching. I'm sorry, um, ma'am, but your kid's the next Stalin because of the way he slammed his I could have been lunch. the next Jason Kidd. <laughs> if they had only if they had only encouraged you. Anyway. But uh yeah, so I loved like just from the opening scene of this film, they turned what could have been a very simple, obvious car crash into something kind of anti gravitational and horrific and like well you weren't certain what was going on at right that exactly point. I mean it you was, really I mean it took you by surprise and that was kind of that was refreshing because you weren't really certain you know you knew more than likely there was some sort of an accident because mm-hmm. her expression and everything else but you don't understand right then and there that this is the accident where her husband is killed I mean because it's a dream you're experiencing it through the the emotions and the feelings of this woman in this dream and so you're not sure and that was great. I thought, and overall, this movie was not a bad movie. I'm, I'm not saying that. I just, if I'm going to watch a movie that's slated as a horror film, I want to be scared. I wasn't scared. Mm-hmm. Not one time. Well, I won't say that this is the best horror film that I've seen in five years, because it's not. But I was, I don't know where my expectations were, and, you know, we've talked about this before many times, but trailers sometimes can be the downfall of the climax in a film. And just in general, you're waiting for these scenes that you've seen 20 times in a trailer and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I was more scared not because of this imaginary creature. I think it was not necessarily the kind of dread you get from horror films generally, but more like worry for Sam, the character, about what his mom could potentially be doing to him. I mean, obviously... The Shining and this film are very different, but it's kind of the same feeling you get oh, when totally. Jack is chasing Danny through the maze. Right? Like, it's, wow, it's that, not I hope the that jump kid scare that that I'm anticipating. It's like all the suspense that's building up. You know, there was and and there was a great deal of that. Yeah, Absolutely. it's more. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of build that, up. That's a word. There is suspense. a lot of there's a lot of suspense. Uh, will build up to to some of the the quote unquote scarier moments of this and creepier moments. And honestly, I thought the creepiest moment, and it wasn't truly scary, but the creepiest moment is when she's sitting there watching the television, and it was all these old 1920s. Oh, that was great. With the the variety show, sort of freak show theater sort of thing where, you know, she's flipping through the channels, and all it is, and every now and then the silhouette or the the image of this Babadook would show up in the midst of it. And, And that was, again, not to me scary, but it was startling. It was creepy. It was it was mm, just curious. It was interesting. Yeah, it, it made absolutely. it interesting. You know, it was like this twenties, thirties kind of like Nosferatu influence. But absolutely. I mean, obviously, the way that the way that they filmed that was like fairly cutting edge. I mean, it's not. It's hard to get that sort of um, like dated feel 
but in a in a very modern sense. It, 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 what it reminded me is is like the old. Um, it would have been like where you put a, a penny into one of those little flip mm-hmm. things at a carnival, and you turn the crank, and it flips the pictures, and it was like an old. I mean, it was just an old form of moving pictures you know i mean mm-hmm. it just like it, an old nickelodeon an, almost a nickelodeon sort of thing but it was it, it just that was genuinely probably the creepiest scene for me when the babadook shows up and in whatever form it is whatever silhouette it shows and everything else there were i, I think i maybe jumped a little once you know mm-hmm. but i wasn't ever truly scared to the point where i'm curled up in the middle of you know i'm i'm, I'm I wasn't hiding under the covers yeah. or anything else like that. And and I guess I guess I haven't found a film like that in ages and I'm dying for one and that's one of the reasons why I guess I just don't watch horror films anymore mm-hmm. because it does end You're up being something disappointed. I'm always very disappointed because it always ends up being something like this film which again, Ben, not a bad film, don't get me wrong. But again, it's and you one shouldn't of those... sigh when I say we're going to do the Bob Duke and you're like <sighs> Yeah, I I <laughs> again I, I wouldn't watch it again. I wouldn't. But there's a big difference between not watching again and then the Babadook. <sighs> if well, if if you have a conversation with your kids and like, hey, uh, do this tour, and they're like, <sighs> okay, what do you think? And and Ben has never done anything like that to anybody ever, <sighs> right? He I never is. He's I just never did it right now, that, yeah. but that was not genuine. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm right, just messing so... with you. The, anyway. the, the other thing I really liked was the neighbor who whose name was Mrs. Mrs. Roach, Roach, which was really funny. That's ironic. But I love when she, when when they're walking up. Um, it was I think it was before the birthday party. But she looks and she goes, "Oh, you look tired, little one. Have you been in the walls today?" Yeah, it's like that's hilarious. that's a that's a line I need to think about for a couple yeah, minutes. Been now. in the wars today? Yeah. Huh. Well, at first, uh, the dog's name. I thought she was saying like Pugsy. Then I believe it's Bugsy, right? It's Bugsy. That's yeah. one thing that's lost in translation with an accent that you're not necessarily familiar with. Is sometimes they'll say words and you're like, "Wait, what was that?" I don't mm. know. But one of and my see, that's okay. Go uh, ahead. I was just going to say one of my favorite things about the the film is if you watch it more than once. What I didn't uh, pick up on first was exactly how the Babadook was formed in Amelia's mind. You can actually see a lot of hints in the background, like. So in one of the first <laughs> one of the first scenes of the film you see Sam and he's dressed up like a magician and he has the top hat. Right. Okay, so you flash forward to another scene in the movie and there's this Bobby clown Duke. with yeah. white face paint kind of juggling and then you see like all these coats on walls and if you put all the pieces together you kind of get a composite of what the Babadook is and how it could be formed in Amelia's mind. So when it actually shows up when you're watching it the second time, it makes a lot more sense. Even things like the um, the insects coming out of the walls. Oh, yeah. There's a shot early in the film where there are these uh, insects that are encased, like dead insects, right in front of a poster. I think it's like for an old ma- magician or an old movie. Right. So I, I really appreciate that in films um, when they have those smaller hints that reward repeat viewing. It kind of well, respects you. I mean, it kind yeah. of, you know, it, it like the birthday scene is probably in my mind, exposes the most uh, exposition in the film because she says, you know, yeah, I used to write for magazines and I wrote some kid stuff, which if she didn't write the Babadook, it's a total throwaway line and there's no point in her saying it 
if she didn't write the Babadook. Oh well, she did. Yeah, I mean, you know, she did. That's she, it's, it's a it's it's a creation of her own, and and I don't know if you guys have ever had this before, but it, you know, playing off of what Ben said, basically creating this this creature out of the different elements that have appeared over the course of time. Um, I my home, the house that I grew up in had uh, in my room I had wooden shutters instead of blinds or curtains or something like that, and right directly and they had wooden shutters because the the wacko neighbor that we had had a security light that would beam the sun in in the middle of the night. Okay, and so you close these wooden shutters and it would pretty well close out just about all of the light, but there was always right on the the uh, closet door what appeared to be two eyes and a nose and kind of a mouth and it was created by the the light that was coming in through these wooden shutters now as a young kid what are you going to do you're going to create a story around that you're going to you're going to create the monster under the bed you're going to you're going to think oh i can't close my eyes or whatever because the closet's going to eat me well this is where she was coming from with this babadook because she's still picking up on these things and and i i recognized that as she was as the the movie was going forward and i recognize you can you can see it everywhere in the basement with the 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 suit that's basically hung up with the hat and 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 the shoes now it makes me wonder if the son didn't do that just to give him a daddy figure a little bit while he was playing in the basement where daddy's tools were you know i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of that picking and putting together and everything else emotionally speaking that's going on in this film and and I can't fault her for that because I did it too as a kid you know I mean everybody does it to some degree the monster that lives in the corner and of course your covers are the shield and as long it is okay that your head's sticking out because that's also just protected I don't know if that was the same for the you force guys. field extends as, as long as it was up to your neck and you know I mean your head was fine because I used to I couldn't put my head underneath I used to justify that because I'd suffocate but I don't know about you guys. okay so maybe it was just me at, I don't at midnight know. I had yeah. at, at 12.01 a.m. see I formed like a cyclops power so if I opened my eyes it just blasted it was, was, you mean like, you yeah. opened your eye your eye well yeah. no like cyclops, cyclops from X-Men right? from yeah. X-Men yeah. Yeah. yeah not like cyclops has, I mean he has the know. visor but then Polyphemus, he has the two eyes polyphemus yeah but yeah. how can he be a cyclops if you only if you have two eyes? Just because of the visor, I think. Yeah, you know, the visor makes it the, look cy- like the visor him. makes him. Cyclops. Jordy was a cyclops. You know, jo- Jordy Verrill from Jordy, Creepshow. Jordy, Jordy LaForge. Who's that? Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, good, good, yeah, ah, good yeah. point. He was a cyclops. good old Levar Burton. Yeah, Levar Burton, you know, cyclops. So I want to do uh, play a scene here real quick. Okay. Uh, you're listening to ninety point seven WAZU. By the way, if you haven't figured that out, and we're talking about the Babadook. And I just wanted to uh, play a scene that I thought was uh, pretty great. So. All right. Well, that that scene that that scene, although I loved it, and I hope you got a feel of uh, 
the sound effects there at home, but that scene kind of lost it for me. Me and Anna were joking about it. She hates, hates horror. Well, I guess I won't say she hates them, but just very judgmental of them and will kind of um, just walk away very easily. And we were making fun of Signs, which I really liked Signs. I like Signs. Um, uh, but again, that wasn't a horror film. That was a science fiction film. Yeah, True. Except for the ending where I was just like, oh, really? So they're landing on a planet that has 75% water and they're somehow Allergic wandering through. They're somehow wandering yeah. through these fields that are probably covered, covered with morning dew. dew. Yeah. Right. Oh. And also it rains here, so it I don't rains. know what your research mm. is like. Oh, yeah. We talked yeah. about this, Jimmy. You know, if, if yeah. those aliens had landed in Seattle, it would be like a, a one-minute film. Yeah. Like right. Seattle or London, you know. Illinois and April melt and yeah, yeah right. Exactly. So as far as horror films goes, like I love I'll, and I'll watch anything with horror. I've seen stuff that I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest to my worst enemy. But <laughs> with Signs, it had some good jump scenes. Um, Mel and I know this just turned into a Signs episode, but I, I'm getting to a You're point here. To a point. I, I, um, go ahead. Mel Gibson's acting, I think, is phenomenal in that movie agreed and and the backstory you know these religious overtones and so many horror films now there's some sort of religious backstory sure you know and and obviously he was a preacher who lost his wife blah 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 and i was so on board with this movie until they showed the alien and their hand-to-hand combat skills they were able to be taken out by like a burned out ex-baseball player <laughs> and they like he had a little Febreze nozzle that he, like, shot into this kid's nose. He just, like, shot pollen into this kid's nose. And it's like... You do realize who we're dealing with here, M. Night Shyamalan. By the way, his new trailer came out. Yeah. Is that the following? No, The Visit. Oh, The Visit. Okay. Um, but anyway, so it's like, it's really unfortunate when you watch a movie that you're totally on board with. But when the movie ends, of course, you're going to be left with the ending. This is the the taste in your mouth when the movie's over. So. Right. You know, there's so many movies that, uh, and I'm thinking like the Japanese uh, resurgence that happened about 10 years ago with The Ring and then The, the grudge, grudge and then, and, you know, yeah. all of that after. And it's like you have to end with this jump scene like, all right, everything is peaceful, but what if? End credits. Like, we don't right. need that. We're not idiots. Like, give us some right. credit and give us, like, the intelligence well, that we Well, I think have. with this film, when you look back on it, the ending is much scarier than it is on the surface because, yeah, the Babadook is metaphorically in the basement, but you never get rid of the Babadook. It's always there. So right. there's who's to say between uh, Sam's seventh birthday and his eighth birthday that there's no relapse? You don't really know. Right. So I think it's more of an ambiguous ending than you might think just on the surface alone. But again, True. I think that that brings it back to this. This is probably a more realistic portrayal of this sort of behavior than any any other film that's come out recently. I mean, this is actually showing you how somebody is going to react to a demon that they're carrying around with them. They recognize that they have to live with it. They're going to feed it. They're not going to nurture it, but they're not going to tease it either. And yet, again, it's always there. It always could come back. It always could be a problem. And that was refreshing. There was no resolution to their problem. The problem's always going to be there. 
now the question becomes, as as Ben rightly pointed out, is that problem going to take over again? Is she going to snap into her own little personal whatever and end up hurting someone or herself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the end resolution was great and that, you know, this memory of my dead husband is not taking over my life, but it's still very much alive. And instead of it being on the forefront of my life, now the memory kind of lives in my basement. And exactly. I, and I nurture it Always on a regular there. basement. Uh, I, I wouldn't say nurture, take care of, keep safe. Acknowledge. Acknowledge it depends on how many times she feeds it worms. Acknowledge existence of, but not nurture. Well, if she's bringing worms down every couple hours, I'd say nurture. I mean, the the thing that got me, too, about this film, it's almost like a shared perspective. So you see almost what the mother is seeing, but you're also seeing what Sam would see. And I I almost think that um, what Sam's seeing is leaning toward the actual... Uh, visual manifestation of the Babadook. Yeah. Like, when, I think when Amelia actually goes down to the basement, it's just the boxes and maybe she, that blazer is still hung yeah. up on the wall. And she's, she's confronting just, her memories. Yeah, she's her confronting her grief, confronting her memories. She's facing it head on because what you see throughout the film up till that point is even though she says to people, oh, yeah, I've moved on, when you know Mrs. Roach says Oscar, she's like, why do you keep bringing him up? Mm-hmm. Well, she said his name once. Yeah, right. Mrs. Roach yeah. said his name once, but just to mention him, his name is going to, you know, uh, set her just completely off course. And uh, you, you kind of see toward the end, too, after she's, um, I think, it, no, it's before she takes the worms down. Right. She right. says to Sam, you know, maybe when you're a little bit older, you can go down there. And I, mm-hmm. to me, that's just like, if you take it in the, the literal sense, they're not going to see the Duck. She's going to take him down show uh, Sam his father's things because she'll be ready to explain it and not break down and say, you know, this is what happened. This is why I've treated you this way. This is why I felt this way, and I hope you understand, and I really am sorry. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting distinguishing factor, too, because all of these, and and I think we all agree that the Babadook didn't exist. It was this kind of— It's a manifestation. Right, exactly. But you never—you know, and Sam sees these hallucinations, too. I'm thinking about when they're in the car on the way home from the birthday party, and he looks over and he says, get out, get out, get out. You Throughout the entire movie, you never see any sort of delusion through Sam's perspective. It's only through her perspective. Which could possibly mean that her behavior is what is— what he is seeing and reacting to. Yeah. I mean, it is her reaction, her behavior, her intensity, her whatever it is. That's what he's reacting to. That's what he is calling the Babadook, if you will. Yeah. I mean, she's never a idealistic role model of a mother where the movie starts and she's totally uh, accommodating his needs and, and whatever. I mean, he starts out kind of disturbed and she starts out as kind of permissive and I mean not neglectful but you know he's he's being kind of annoying and wants her to read the story again and she's like okay well whatever I'll read it again I mean she's kind of um she's kind of lost from the very beginning of the story well again she's 7 years worth of depression under her belt and the grief that she has and yeah that's going to color how you raise a kid yeah that's and gonna, she's been that's resent gonna, and, you know and resentful hateful if you will or you know not openly necessarily towards him because it's obvious that she she truly cares for her son sure but again it's that's going to that's going to imprint a certain type of behavior on this kid and and you can see it I mean, you can see it in this kid. And I, I find it surprising. You mentioned the, the – you read, like, comments about this kid that were hateful. 
this story is not about the kid. It's never been about the kid. It's it's always been about her and her dealing with her grief, her dealing with her sadness or whatever you want to call it. And and the kid is an innocent, if anything else, you know? I mean, yeah, he acts a little nutty. He acts a little crazy. But He's guess what? Incredibly intelligent. Like, That's, if there, there it is, who could, yeah. who could build that contraption, he had, like, the catapult, he, the backpack catapult, and the magic tricks that he does, that too. That was awesome. I mean, At I've... seven? This is one. Uh, this is one interpretation of the ending that I don't necessarily agree with because it showed throughout the film that he's smart. But some people were saying that since the ending seems kind of idealistic, where he has the coin and he puts it in the tray and then he lifts uh, like a, a pigeon up or a dove, yeah. um, that you know they're in real life dead or something. I was like, well, I think he could do that magic trick because you can hide the bird in a compartment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are saying, no. oh, they're dead. No, it's not. It's not. I don't think the, that would really jive no. with the rest of the It's not the, the sixth film. sense. I'm Th- sorry. Those are yeah. the people that go into this movie not liking it, and they're like, okay, I'm going to start this movie out and like just try to find all the things that I don't like about it. Like I love um, like the parallels. So when she's at work, she's working in this dementia ward, and the music is just so, so like right out of one floor of the Cougar's Nest. Oh, yeah, totally. And and she's rolling this bingo wheel, and she pulls it out, and she's like, five, three billion five, on B. Five billion. Right. Anybody? Five billion. And, and she's trying to, you know, they're not paying attention to her for the most part. She's trying to make it more interesting for herself just right. a little bit. I mean, the more mad she becomes, the more dire her situation becomes at work. And how about this poor guy? Who, Robbie. Who, yeah, the guy poor who Robbie. hits on her. And, and he gets kind of a straight jerk. attention. No, well, not no, really. I don't think he no, was. I think he's a good guy. But if you're, well, just imagine if if you're that guy, you know, you're really nice to her and you have great conversations at work. And then you go to her house and you were covering for her when she said that her kid was sick. You, oh, the kid's not sick. And the kid's saying, I don't get a birthday ever. You don't let me have a dad. Whoa. That does kind of paint a grim picture of yeah. what's going on at home. Now, granted, boy is speaking truthfully, but that's not the entire truth. But he did, and at that point, any interest that he had in her just went right well, out the let freaking me, uh, window. Talk to Gertrude in room four B. Right. I, I hear Gertrude. Merle I got calling me. Girl, I got your Geritol. Mm. No, I just remember him making some sort of like really short-sighted uh, quip about it was like a dementia joke to her, and then like laughed and then walked away. I oh, well, that was what after was, he but... made his comment about oh, woman in the kitchen, that's where she belongs. It was yeah, just right. They, that was fun. That they, they both laughed about. Of that, course, but... but again, it was it's still he's going to make comments like that to her and it's and it's apparent that he's made comments like that to her in in the past yeah and so because she just kind of that's his game that's how he rolls right quote unquote anyway i i thought that you know he just got the short stick all along because he could have you know i don't know if they had built that character a little more he could have maybe helped her and who knows maybe that's where it was headed in the end and maybe that's where later on it'll go or whatever because he doesn't seem like a bad guy and how many horror movies have we seen where you know there's a life and death situation let's say that the mom was you know about to kill Sam and then all of a sudden Robbie kicks the door in saves the day I've seen that so many times and it's almost like you know this this Jennifer Kent she's a, a a horror film and fan and she loves horror film and she thinks you know that it's the most pure form of of cinema like with with romance films or or what have you where it evokes like some of the rawest emotions that you know um 
like people watch horror movies not necessarily because they love the story, but it, it's that adrenaline they want to get rush, scared. You know? well, yeah, they exactly. want to feel you that as, rush. As yeah. a director who's breaking into the business, think about budgets and think about how many directors who are just larger than life now got their big break through a horror film. Mm-hmm. I mean. Peter Jackson got his start doing like gore films. Yeah. I mean Spielberg, obviously with Jaws. Yeah. So if you, I, I didn't do much research. These were just the ones that came to mind. It's just a lot of great directors almost have to break with horror just because of budget constraints and because studios just don't want to, you know, throw money to people who are supposedly unproven. I will mm-hmm. say this about this film: it did not look like a low budget film. Mm-hmm. I think I it mean, was what two million. Yeah, it, two, I mean, 2. I, didn't, I didn't even look. You know, it yeah, I think it was two to two point five million. It didn't look like a low budget film. It was filmed very well. It was filmed. I mean, the use of light and shadow, that kind of, with that kind of, um, really kind of dark, grainy feel to the entire thing, which is kind of a popular way of, of filming right now. I, I like that. I think it really sets a certain tone. I mean, there were no bright, fabulous colors. There were no great popping scenes in any way, shape, or form. But there were there, there, there were scenes that truly set the scene or set the mood for what was going on. Mm-hmm. The the living room, just your everyday, work-a-day living room with a little television set. But it set a perfect scene for those creepy images, you yeah. know, and and the 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 kitchen, which again, not not your state of the art kitchen by any stretch of the imagination, but again, it's that, that scene. It's very realistic. It's it's what we all have to deal with on a day to day basis: the inadequacies of our home. So, but again, it it painted that picture that set it up as believable, if not you know, very big budgeting you know and it seems too as the film progresses and as amelia's uh let's just call it madness progresses it seemed like it seems like things get a little bit more black and white and a little bit darker and maybe it's just the way that uh things are framed like it'll show the staircase for a little bit longer in the staircase Mm -hmm. as you know gray with 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 like a Mm -hmm. black trim but i thought it was a good way of painting the parallel between the book and then the supposed real world and how they're not really all that different. And 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 along those same lines how the the she's filmed as she descends into madness or descends into madness if you will as she's possessed by this babadook as she's got this evil inside of her how she's filmed changes a little bit as we go too before it was a little more she's more in the light she's wearing the pink you know nurse's outfit and and then as we go she's a little darker the scenes are a little more askew they're a little bit twisted they're a little bit hazier or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. and and you really get a sense of the darkness that's waiting inside of her i mean if not the true you know when we see you know her barfing up all that black ichor. No, I liked um, the scene where she's on the couch and she's just flipping through channels and, like, the disheveling of her hair is kind of like a timeline of her craziness descent. Oh, yeah. Because she's a... Essie uh, Davis is the actress's name and she is beautiful. She is gorgeous. Yeah, she is. Oh, yeah. And she she's right one book. of those actresses. She's been in many things. She's obviously not afraid to make herself look unattractive for a role. But she wasn't even unattractive in this. No, she no. Was, she, was, she, was, she was supposed to be tired. tired. She was just tired. She's just she, exhausted, she looked man. like a She looked like a single mom who's working a lot and dealing with a, a supposedly disturbed son. Right. She's yeah, like, I mean, my she, husband died. I'm in this Jennifer Kent movie. I gotta I know, be this right. horror actress. And... Exactly. Well, to me, so... that was the most impressive part is her gradual transformation because it's not like it happens all at once, but when it happens, like, she's obviously have having some problems, 
but she's trying to be the best mom she can be, and she knows she's not. You know, she's kind of um, meek, confused, and then as a progressive, she is just a horrible-looking, almost monster by the end of the movie when she's screaming at her son, Mm -hmm. um, calling him a little pig because he's wet his pants. And I know they've done probably some voice alterations, but it's me like combining, um, like when she's trying to break into the room and her voice gets deeper. A lot of times it's really cheesy in horror films, but I think with the way she portrays that character, like the rage that she just totally unleashed between that and then when uh, she's in the basement tied up, like she has it. I would love to see her in larger roles oh yeah i mean it's definitely you know the voice alteration was definitely post-production but not gratuitous no yeah and how often no. do we see that you know a, a, an editor's like well we're obviously gonna have to you know change her voice and alter it with editing so let's just turn it on up and make right. her let's sound like the devil 11. james earl jones yeah exactly. as amelia's voice throughout the and, film and every every horror movie where there's a disturbed child and a mother at some point yes the mother figure is going to become possessed and there's this there's certain elements of this film that are not insanely original and and like i said this isn't the best movie i've seen in you know 10 years but i love just the little elements that are are not necessary like you know every knock on their front door whether it's mrs roach or the nurse friend or it's always three knocks which is kind of fun duke 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 and if We'd made mention that she wrote the book, and so she, you know, she made this line at the birthday party. I used to do kid stuff, blah blah blah. So she's on the phone, and she's kind of delirious, and the hand that's holding the phone is covered in charcoal, and that's before she burns the book. The book's pages are obviously written in charcoal, and she goes to the police, which was kind of interesting. That was strange. That, that was, was strange. almost unnecessary. Because the first time I watched it, it's when I was kind of playing with the idea. Well, maybe she's the author because. You know, maybe she wrote this book as sort of a coping mechanism for when her her husband died and didn't know how to deal with it. And the cop looks at her hands and obviously doesn't identify it as charcoal because he doesn't have the book there. But she has this sense of guilt. And that's what kind of set it off is that, oh, obviously she wrote the book because. Well, even if even if he did identify it as charcoal, she just got done telling him that he she burned it. Right. Yeah. And so it could have been that that some kind of residue or soot from the from the from the burning of this book and you know I, I didn't necessarily pick up on on the, the charcoal on the hands at the party or anything else but I did recognize about halfway through that this was not going to be this was not a truly supernatural phenomenon this was not a, a creature that's inhabiting this house and has always been there this was not you know an evil spirit this was this was not an alien this was nothing like that this mm-hmm. was truly purely psychological and uh, an invention of her own, you mm-hmm. know? And, and as I started to realize that, I'll be honest, I started to lose a little interest. I did. As soon as you realized As soon it, as I realized what was going at, on. At what point, it, like, scene-wise, you think? I think it, I think it was just right after that, that the birthday party where the kid pushes the little <laughs> girl like 20 minutes of, in. I know. I And, and, and I'm sorry. I, I watched the rest of it. I honestly did, obviously. But, uh, but I just kind of was, okay, now when does the monster come finally? And what is this monster going to look like? And, and so I... I tried to keep my and Ben again. I'm sorry, but I tried to keep my interest peaked. But it, I, I, what I, I wanted to be scared. I think I, they I showed too to, much of the monster. Personally, we we talked about with I Blair Witch. I don't, I don't one think of my, they showed too no. much because even with with that scene where the monster 
just like goes tumbling into her mouth pretty much, just like yeah. drops into her. You see different angles of the monster, but you never really see him completely because he drops in so quickly. I mean, you barely ever get a full view of him because even in the scene we were talking about the where TV. he's in the TV, yeah. a lot of times his head's down and the camera's panned out very, very far. Maybe the best look almost is... um when Amelia is washing the dishes, she looks up, sees Mrs. Roach, looks Behind down, Mrs. looks up. Roach. Yeah, that's yeah. almost that that that's, that's almost that the creepy. best. Like if he had been looking up, that would have been the best look overall, probably of the monster. Yeah. I think that's such a terrifying technique that they really just started implementing within the last like five years because they don't. You know, if you blink, you'll miss it. But with this movie, if you miss it, it's okay. It's not detrimental to, like, getting the film. At this point, you should probably already understand the film. It's like but... a, it's like the replacement for it. It seemed to happen more in horror movies. But when somebody's at a mirror, they open it, get something, and close it. And the bad guy yeah. slash villain right, slash right guy about the slasher yeah, is like, yeah. yeah, so I think that's the replacement for that. And I, one other thing I wanted to mention, too, is uh, I think at the end, when the Babadook went to the basement, I believe that was an homage to Evil Dead, that shot. Yep. When it's going down Isn't the stairs, you? like, yeah, totally. Really? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's from the perspective of the spirit going down and quickly, like, with the shaking of the camera it's and everything. It's the okay. force, right. so for sure it is. Okay. I thought right. that Even too. with the shriek, too. Maybe a little bit. Just a quick, Maybe just a quick. Maybe a little bit, but I don't know. Jennifer Kent is calling in in five minutes with the answer. Hello, I'm Jennifer Kent. I'm Australian. I, no, sorry. That's that's worse than our uh, impressions of the droogs from Clockwork Orange. I, uh, really, I apologize. I Why did somebody worse. from Monty Python just show up? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, all of, all of your favorite guys from Monty Python are here. Just name them and they're here, and it's definitely not us impersonating Hi, them. Hi, I'm John Cleese. <laughs> Hi, I'm Terry Gilliam or Gilliam. I'm not sure how to pronounce my last name. <laughs> Something else that I wanted to say too. The story aside, this the 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 scares aside. I'm a sucker for um, just like lighting and cinematography and dream sequences, especially. And these scenes with the levitation with her, I thought were very very fun. And the way that it releases her back down to the bed. Oh yeah. But there was a scene where she gave him a pill, and it's he when it. yeah. So he's starting to regress back to normalcy, and she's starting to turn more and more mad, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't want to take it. She takes it, and then they show Sam puts it to his face, and then he palms it. Magic, sleight if you will. Hand. Sleight of hand. The kid's been practicing it, right? So he sleight of hands this thing, then show, and then it shows his hand on his lap. He she takes a drink. Mom thinks he's taking the pill, and all is well with the world. Until of course she goes bananas. Yeah, and then it winds up back in her hand. Right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You really didn't know that he didn't take the pill? Yeah, I knew he didn't take. <laughs> oh God. Well, yeah. No, just nod and smile. See, I now think... it's the time for one of these. <sighs> it just sounds like you're vomiting right now. Yeah. No, it's I'm a, not. Uh, it's, yeah. For me, I I think the uh, the creepiest part was once again one of the more subtle ones. Not that there are many parts where it's meant to be wow you know this is the creature about to kill everyone um it's when she's watching the news story and she sees herself at the window mm-hmm. so you, it, it drops into this news story you know typical uh coverage they see a woman crying outside police tape a body being brought out in a stretcher you hear the news anchor saying and he was killed uh the in the seventh birth free, mother yeah, killed him on the seventh birthday, birthday they found the a body in the basement knife. and then the cops she wouldn't put the knife down and the cops shot her and then um 
you kind of see a face in the window of this it's uh, her. this brick apartment building and it looks and it's like her but she has the creepiest face in the world yeah, she's like smiling blankly out at herself it's of, just like well it's if like that the, happens to me i'm sorry i'm just gonna run and not stop until yeah. i faint <laughs> it's it was kind of the babadook face yeah kind of on her face i mean it was that it was a manifestation for the first time of this creature actually superimposed over her yeah not just in her but over her in this point so yeah that was that was creepy and there were a lot of little things like that throughout that kind of pointed out again to me that mm, this isn't really happening i mean it is happening but it's mostly in her mind they kind of jump back between uh realities a little bit yeah yeah and you kind of have to follow along and i don't think that it's this like kubrickian uh recipe that you have to watch four times to get. No. You know, as as far as creepy child boogeyman reincarnation tales, this is this is the best one I've seen in a while. But there's not a lot of competition as far as quality goes because I watched Insidious and I was like, ah, it, mm-hmm. I, I liked I liked um kind of the ending how they portrayed the spirit world, but I wasn't crazy about the last couple of scenes with Sinister I was like, wow, I really like how they used found footage in this, and Mr. Boogie, who is the baddie in that one, is terrifying, but I was almost disappointed they took it in the, yes, this is 100% supernatural direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, a lot of those movies kind of all run together, and that's why I appreciated this, because in the future when somebody says The Babadook, I'm going to be able to reference this movie right away. If nothing else, it stands apart from the other movies kind of in this subgenre. Well, with the ending, the ending in particular. Yeah, it, it, wasn't they, a, it was it a was standalone. A, They're not it was, begging for a sequel. They're no, not, absolutely not. The dog's there's, coming back to no. be the Babadook because no. there's a black rose growing no. over the dog. Which I thought was kind of fascinating that there were she was growing black roses. Now, that would be kind of cool to grow. That yeah, would be creepy, but the cool. Babadook Two Bugsy's Revenge. <laughs> yeah, and I liked that it wasn't over overly disturbing. There wasn't a drop of blood in the whole movie. Well, the, it was there was some. There she was gets some. her leg stabbed. You oh, get yeah, Oscar's yeah, yeah, head. Yeah, that's true. Chopped oh, yeah, off when, uh, the broken broken nose for the little girl, which yeah. that's just like a flash of blood. Yeah, yeah that's true. All I think right, though. I think though the reason I enjoyed this is a psychological aspect. When I look at films, especially horror films. If you can do a 50-50 split of maybe there's something supernatural and maybe there's something psychological, obviously, to me, the granddaddy of them all is The Shining, which we've discussed right. in a past episode. Right. Like To me, that movie just makes you think hours and hours, days after days, years after years after you've seen it. Mm-hmm. I don't think The Babadook is going to have quite that no. effect on me. It does have me thinking, but you know, I just watched it you know, the first time two weeks ago, so... I mean, it's not on that level. That's what I'm saying. I really like it, but I'm not going to say, "Oh, yeah, this is one great. of the all-time yeah, greats." Yeah. yeah, I think that I think that the only the, the the big thing that I can come away from this is that at least that they had original ending. It wasn't the traditional, you know, there wasn't that jump scare at the end or anything like that. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It, it was truly, it was what I would imagine a more tr- more realistic ending to a true horror story would be mm-hmm. you know i mean this it, it there there was again it, it 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 wrapped it up nicely but it was there is no room for a second one right i mean because this is the end of that particular story and and if you went back to it again it would be hackneyed it would be it would be you know it'd be stupid right no i watched it twice if i if i had somebody over at my house who had never seen it and they really wanted to see it i'd watch it again but it's not timeless it's not it's not gonna. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
what's next week, Stu? <gasps> well, I've done some deep thinking, gentlemen. And I have decided we need to um, investigate some of the original or originators of the Buddy film. Mm. Are we going to do Rush Hour 3? We are really not. We are really <laughs> not. Expandables 3 because they're all dudes and they're bros. They drink no. all the first one, right? Oh, 48 no. hours? No. No, we're going to go further back than that. Uh, Laurel and Hardy. Not that far. Oh, no, Lethal Weapon. No, no, further back than that. We are going to go with the classic, The Sting. Oh, nice. Yep, Robert Redford. Was that another Tim Paul recommendation? Newman. No, no, this is not a Tim recommendation. This one's mine, but I do have a couple of good Tim ones coming up, which, by the way, I will not. Spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, don't divulge. Yeah, no, I won't. No, I won't. Here are our next 25 episodes. <laughs> Episode the first. first. I, no. I guess Fargo's going to be in there at some point, Francis McDormand. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dear. By oh, yeah. Oh, this yeah, man got pushed into a chipper. chipper. Yeah. It's, oh, a, it's a trick because all of those episodes are Biodome and how much we love it. <laughs> Every one of them is going to be a Pauly Shore movie. All right. Hey. So, yeah, anyway, The Sting yes. is going to be our next Fantastic broadcast. choice. So, there it is. Fantastic. Yep. Well, Ben, you have anything else you'd like to say about Baba Duke? No, what I said about The Shining and its relation to horror films in general and how The Baba Duke relates, I think pretty much sums up my feelings about it. Once again, uh, I always like having a frame of reference. You know, I, I'm not going to go in and compare every single horror film I see to The Shining because, let's just face it, that's horribly unfair. But I liked the parallels. Um, I just like the fact that we're focusing on two characters in The Babadook and we're developing them. You get to see this progression. It's more psychological. And uh, unlike a lot of horror films that are coming out, this film actually will reward you for repeated viewings. Yeah. Ditto. Well, with one exception. Um, it needed more scare. If it's going to be listed as a horror film, there needed to be more scare. Yeah, I think maybe it needed to be um, marketed perhaps differently yeah. because the it, trailer, thriller, thriller, the yes. trailer, psychological thriller, yes, horror film, uh, no. Classify it however it, no. you want, but that trailer was a horror trailer. It was, and absolutely. unfortunately, we've talked about trailers in the past. Every, you know, this trailer, while it makes it look like a horror movie. This is every semi-scary scene in the movie. Yep. And some of them are even altered. Like the scene it's in the trailer, it shows her like rising out of bed. Right. Nope, that's a dream that's sequence where she's descending back into, bed, into right. bed. And they just released this um, like five freaking minute long Jurassic World trailer, which just peeved me. Really? It's like, oh, that's great. It's now I don't have to see the movie. Why, because yeah, that's why I parts. don't watch trailers until it seems kind of weird. But For I the most part, until after the film... I don't want to see the final, final trailer, like the the new Star Wars trailer that came out. That one was perfect. I feel like it didn't oh, yeah. get too much mm-hmm. away. I don't that really know if I want to watch any more trailers after yeah, that I because know. I don't want too much to be yeah. known to me before oh. I go in to see the film. Anyway, Anywho. next week is The Sting. If you want to hear this episode and more, go to movieshowtheater.com. Otherwise, you can get a hold of us on the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. Um, and you can probably find us on the 90.7 WACU Facebook page. Lots of ways to get a hold of us. Okay. Anything else from you boys? Nope. All right. Well, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. <laughs> <laughs>